I think that the visitors, as we understand them, are unified in one respect. Then there are different forms and probably from different worlds, but they all share one thing. There is no barrier in their lives between the living, the physical, and what we call the dead. So this is the potential for discovery and change and learning in the entropic level of reality is just unlimited. Is the implant working with me or not? I can, if I want to know that, I can go into a room that has a brightly lighted white wall and look through my right eye and there will be a slit there. And in that slit, the words will be racing past and I know that they are entering my mind. Whitley Strieber has been adamant about the idea that there is a direct link between what he refers to as the visitors, our own contact experiences, and the dead. In his latest book, A New World, he highlights this connect point between these two states of being. I wanted to dig into this theme further with Whitley to have him explain and also talk about why he thinks his implant, a device that he's lived with since 1989, not only acts as a communicator between the living and the dead, but also helped him in the writing of this, his latest book. Listen to what Whitley had to share. Whitley Strieber, you know, I love to quote you. And so I'm going to dive right in by quoting you when you were last on my show. And I asked you simply, what drives you and what you do? And you said, with emphasis, I might add, I am on a journey to open a door that we have had closed for way too long. Somehow, I feel that your tenacity for all of these years is making a huge dent on this planet, really, whether you're consciously aware of it or not, it is. I know you continue to be integral in changing this paradigm as we speak. And your latest effort is a case in point, and it is your new book, A New World. And folks, I've got to tell you, this is one engaging read. I've really enjoyed every page. Now, where you cover different areas of experience having to do with the visitors, coupled nicely with your postulate about who, what, and most importantly, why they are, and then juxtaposing that with who, what, and why we are, there was one theme that continued to crop up in the book, and that has to do with what I'm going to call the intersection between close encounters and the dead. Now, I know your position has been quite clear in recent years and that uh, our interaction with the visitors, as you call them, their presence, often in a non-physical form, is not too dissimilar from our so-called dead. And there's something we need to be gleaning from that, I really feel. So let's start there. Why do you feel that the visitors and the dead are directly related? I think that the visitors, as we understand them, are unified in one respect, then there are different forms and probably from different worlds, but they all share one thing. There is no barrier in their lives between the living, the physical, and what we call the dead. That is not, does not exist for them. It does exist for us for a lot of reasons, but we are evolving and we are at a point in our evolution where it is time for that barrier to fall. Agreed. Agreed. 
I hope we can get to the mechanics as much as it's possible to do. So, I mean, we're talking we're about sure. something. Yeah, I do. Now, look, you've been making reference to this, not just in this book, but I believe, is it the afterlife? The afterlife revolution. Revolution. Yes. Right. Uh, but it was brought up in this new book enough for me to say, we've got to go there again. Um, in fact, I just did a little Facebook post to let people know. I'm going to see if I can get Whitley to go there to see if we can try to um, kick the tires a little bit. Um. So let's elaborate a little bit on this. Let's 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 go there. You're saying that there is you feel there's no barrier between what I call non-human intelligence. You call the visitors and the so-called and I say so-called because I do not believe they're dead. No barrier there. But there is with us. There is with us. Yes. Um, And, you know, I have in in the past, the distant past, seen some of the dark blue figures rising out of an, a drawer, like uh, as if they were being animated. And I think that, that that was the process of souls entering these bodies that they only use to to project themselves into this level of reality. And I'll be very specific about what I mean by this level of reality. In this level of reality... Entropy is unfolding. Mm-hmm. That is to say, change takes place. And change can be used by a soul to alter its energy level. That's why we go into bodies in the first place. Uh, but we, and, and that's when they are entering the physical, they are entering it to experience change or to do things in the physical world that are necessary for one reason or another, probably mostly unknowable to us, uh, to fulfill their own objectives in reality. I like that you bring up entropy, and I'm going to repeat, I've said this probably a hundred times, quoting Tom Campbell, who really feels, and it was Linda Moulton Howe during a show that we did that told me this, he says, Tom Campbell, he believes that this being in the corporeal form in the physical body is about an entropy reduction trainer for souls being in the physical form, being in the 3D. Yes. How do you feel about that? Well, first of all, let's back up a little bit and let everybody know what entropy is. Mm. Entropy is the process of decline, basically. It is, uh, it is the process by which everything slows down. It is also what we call change and it is the illusion of time is how we address entropy in our brains we see entropy as the passing of time now when you see it this way you realize how much we can do with it because you don't have to just participate passively In this decline, this process of change, you can use it in all kinds of ways. You can engage with other people and engage emotionally, intellectually. You can engage physically. You can do things like prayer and meditation and uh, address the extra-temporal level of reality, asking it to bring energy into your life. So this is the potential for 
discovery and change and learning in the entropic level of reality is just unlimited. It's fabulous. And so being here is always a great blessing. And we are going to be in a situation very soon where we can't really be here physically anymore on this planet Earth, and we're not going anywhere else. We're part of this planet. This planet, we're part of its body. And when it becomes unable to support us, we're not going to be able to go to and do this on another planet. It's not going to happen. Huh. We will, we will, it will all unfold for us here as part of the body of the Earth. And we will become less able to use entropy. So then what happens? What happens is we become like the visitors, all of them, in that we generate bodies intentionally in order to enter them and experience change in these bodies. And when we do that, we're no longer bodily, physically bound to the planet because we will be able to design these bodies, and we're far along with this already, in, every, in exactly the way we need to design them to do what we need to do. And before you know it, along with that, will become breakthroughs in gravity, propulsion and gravity, and the human species will be just like the others, a star wanderer who can come in and out of bodies at will and as necessary. But there, and there will be crimes and there will be abuse. There is here right now being carried out by them. So it's not all sweetness and light, and they're not all the same they are as radically different as we are so uh, that is that's the situation that's what's going to happen to us and it's going to be noisy because <laughs> it's a birth and a baby <laughs> being born the first thing a baby does when he's born is uh, essentially say oh my god what happened and that's start right. to cry cries that's right let me show, do a little parallelism here okay. between where we are in the Zodiac. And the Zodiac that we have today, is it's a very ancient tool. It's not necessarily a predictive tool. I guess in the hands of a good astrologer, perhaps it can be. But in the larger sense of the word, there is a plan for us and this planet. And we are on track. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. The precession of the equinox moves at uh, 2,200-year cycles, and each zodiacal sign is a 22, one of these 2,200-year cycles. We are at the end of Pisces and mm. the beginning of Aquarius. That's right. Pisces is the little fish swimming in the water of life. Earth is giving everything she, everything the little fish needs to the little fish. In other words... The fetus is in the womb. Now, what happens? Here comes Aquarius. The water, the water side, the water pours out, and with it, the little fish, who hmm. ends up on, on land. What to do? That is to say, the waters of life are getting polluted by the fact that the baby is now 
too big to stay in the womb and is going to be born. And that birth is a birth into a higher vibrational reality that will be accompanied by a great deal of storm and suffering and death, and, and we'll perceive it as death on an individual basis, but it will be actually the process of the species being born into a new reality and into a new experience in which we will no longer be constrained by the rules that required the little fish to address the higher levels of reality only through certain channels, each one of us will be fully expressed into the universe on his or her own terms, sink or swim. If you're enjoying this episode and want to get more conversations about all things intriguing, inspiring, and unusual, be sure to subscribe to Higher Journeys on YouTube. And once you do, don't forget to hit that notification bell to receive an announcement as soon as a new episode is posted. And now, back to our show. Suddenly, down from above came a shaft of light. It was not sunlight. It was from straight above, and it was about 11, 10, 10 o'clock in the morning. So, And we had been meditating together there. And this shaft of light was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It was just gorgeous. There was something golden and incredibly pure about it. And anyone you saw through it was enhanced in their the beauty is it was almost like you could see something deeper in them. All of us saw it who were there in that circle. The children, the adults, except John. John could not afford to see it. Hmm. He literally could not because it would have destroyed his entire worldview, which was profoundly secular and materialistic. We went back to the house afterwards, and John got a splitting headache from pushing this away. And that was what was happening to me now at this point, two summers before that, but I didn't know it. I would take headache medications. I developed my own migraine medication. The doctor gave me migraine medications. And this was because I was seeing them and interacting with them and pushing them away. Then comes October of 1985. We are awakened with friends, Jacques, Jacques Sandalescu and Annie Gottlieb in the house, by a huge bang and a big flash of light, so bright that it, Jacques, when it woke Jacques up, he thought it was midday. And, and in fact, it was 4 o'clock in the morning. Annie, sleeping in the bedroom below us, Annie Gottlieb, not my wife, hears little footsteps go scurrying across the floor above, which is mine, mine and Ann's bedroom. She thinks it's their cats, but our cats are actually in the city. It's a group of visitors running away from the bed because I am in the process of leaping out of it, and I'm going to attack them. <laughs> but I don't remember it that way. I leap out of the bed. I shout, I think the house is on fire. Our little boy is screaming from downstairs because of the noise. And 
I run downstairs. By the time I'm on the stairway, the light's gone. I realize the house isn't on fire. I go downstairs. I say through the door to Annie and Jacques, it's nothing's wrong. It's all okay. Go to bed, back to bed. I then go into my son's bedroom and comfort, comfort him. And I go back to sleep, back to bed. Now, I still, they came. I still didn't recognize their presence. Then comes December the 26th, 1985. And they, they're tired of this. They are waking this dumb guy up. They drag me out of the house. They get me into their little machine. They rape me. They put a needle in my head. They definitely do succeed in waking me up. I finally realize they're there. Then I proceed to go through two months of hemming and hawing inside myself and deciding I'm insane and deciding it was a crime and on and on and on. And finally, late in February of 1986, I face it. It was real. The initiation then has finally worked. I have faced this. It is real. They were real. Now comes the moment of choice. What do I do? Do I go home and sit down and say, the hell with this. I'm never, I'm never, I'm selling this cabin. I'm never coming back here. I'm never going to do anything about this again. They raped me and I'm furious about it. And that's it. Or do I turn toward the mystery and say to myself, yeah, they roughed me up good. They terrified me, but... They're real. They're real. And I started going out in the woods in the middle of the night trying to signal to them that I was ready for more. <laughs> as terrifying as that idea was, because at the time, I thought maybe they'll just eat me. I mean, I didn't know what would happen to me. <laughs> right. And I would go out in the woods in the middle of the night and, and meditate anyway, even though it seemed extremely dangerous and even crazy. But that's the essence of this whole thing. We're all going to have to live like that because we have to do the impossible here. We have to be born into a reality that we don't even know exists. But listen, it's possible because it happens to every single baby that has ever been mm -hmm. born and a great number of them succeed in pulling it together. And we will, too. The visitors are too cheap. And <laughs> they wouldn't be here if we didn't have a damn good chance of being born. Right. I, I mean, you talk. You have no idea what they're... I mean, they're, they're very parsimonious, the greys especially. They waste nothing and they use everything for... I don't know how long, but I'm telling you, a long time. I wouldn't be surprised if some of their equipment is millions of years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what so many thoughts are running through my mind, Whitley, and I would need probably 15 minutes to just respond to what you said. But I'm just going to say this. Unequivocally, you are a rare breed. And I'm not just, you know, brown nosing here. No, <laughs> well, no, no. I don't care about that. You, you're, I care about winning this. But I'm, here, just I'm hear out me to win here. I understand. But hear me because this is important. 
as you you're really just sort of imploring the audience and I we have a very very open and proactive audience but to the larger world out there who never mind those that are having the contact experiences uh but those those that are having the contact experiences and are not doing anything with it you had a choice you could have said this this is for the birds this is just torture so this is why i'm saying you're a rare breed because i look i have a contention that billions of people perhaps are walking on this planet that are contactees that are being visited and completely oblivious to their encounters that's a whole nother situation but for those even that are no damn well something's going on they've opted for the former what you could have done just get being scared out of their wit and not facing this or or, or Um, burying it or what Burying it. Or be, well, that's what they're, they're doing. A lot of them don't even but, know what happened. They're burying Oh, there's no question about it. Then we get into the whole screen screen memory and so forth. There's a litany of signs that there's there's a screen going on here. But back to you, what I want to say, because, again, you are imploring and you're, you're inviting people to say face. Really, what you're saying is face your fears. And perhaps yeah. they represent that archetype. Uh, or, or certainly can in many cases of doing stuff to care to scare the heck out of you to face that fear when the fear diminishes the gates open including right. the, that what I like to think of as a symbiosis with them so well, I think yeah, but the fear doesn't diminish at first if fear gets much worse I'm t- when I first started walking out in those woods I had to literally work to put one foot in front of the other mm. It was unbelievably scary and difficult. And, of course, they made no effort whatsoever to do anything. They just watched me. I know they watched me because they eventually came back into my life. However, there's something very important here. And that is this phrase, many are called, but few are chosen. That's right. You th- we think when we hear that, oh, then you have to be chosen by somebody else. No. The few that are chosen all chose themselves. They said yes to the offer. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, look what happened to Jesus when he said yes to the offer. Yeah. He had a pretty rough time. And it's going to be hard. It's not easy. Entropy not reduction trainer for souls, Whitley. We yeah. have a great opportunity, just like you said. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Listen, we've got to move on because we're running out of time. We are okay. shortening this. And as you know, and we'll, we're going to get into this journeyers, we're going to have a little chat offline. But you're eventually going to have the opportunity to listen to it. But before we get to that, quickly, and it's I'm not doing this justice because your implant story is a book in and of itself. But I want to talk about <laughs> this because I want you to draw a nexus between what this implant offered you after... A, a whole you know, period of time where you didn't know what the heck was going on. You say, as far as this book is concerned, I found this brilliant. The, you call, I don't know if you called it a co-author, but it became somewhat of an informant for you in writing this right. book, this yeah. implant. Give us that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in two parts because I, I want you to just go at it. Talk about that a little bit. But then also, I want you to talk about, I'm going to quote you again in the book where you say, I no longer think that the implant has anything much to do with non-humans. The fact that I didn't learn to use it until after Anne passed away and that it continues what she did when she was alive has convinced me that the implant is a communicator between the living and the dead. 
in keeping with this theme. So if you remember the first comment I made, and then I'd like you to address what I just asked or quoted. Okay. The implant is a partner. The implant, we're getting ready to write a book about Jesus. Hmm. And we are going to take that step because it's time for this. And the book won't sell as well as I would would want it to, but that's okay. It will be useful in time, like the other books, the key in this book and communion, will eventually be very, very useful, and they have to be there when they're needed. So uh, we are working now on this, and that means that what is happening is all kinds of useful information directed toward the central theme of the book, which is that Jesus was not a God and was not distant from us. What we are looking at there is a human being demonstrating human capabilities and capacities. And the implant is working toward this, excuse me, by feeding me information and ideas, and I have in my cell phone here notes that I take from the implant. I can even probably read some of them uh, hmm. here uh, to give you an idea of what this is like. They're right here. Okay. Forever can become enlightened. That's going to be a very central theme. I'm not going to go into exactly what that means now, but it is an, it is. It, trust me, it's a revolutionary idea. Uh, human beings are not small things supplicant to the gods. The human being is a great journey, and everyone leads in the end to full consciousness and the ecstasy that universe uh, and, and ecstasy. This universe is the kingdom. And now there are some more biblical references and references to other books. And that will just grow and grow and it, 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 as we work together. And it, how does it come? It just comes. I don't have to think about it. Right. I can, when, I, when I'm interested in, is the implant working with me or not, I can, if I want to know that, I can go into a room that has a brightly lighted white wall and look through my right eye and there will be a slit there. And in that slit, the words will be racing past. And I know that they are entering my mind, even though they're not, they're subliminally entering my mind, because this all is about subliminals, subliminal work. And I give you another example of how that works. Two people came to this house. Uh, is this in a new world, my dear? I, I don't remember if I put it in, if it had happened before or after I wrote the book. Okay. In any case, there are two fellows whom I knew. They're from the breakaway civilization, I guess. And they explained the implant to me and how it worked because there was a, a doctor who works on sort of the secret side of this whole thing who wanted to know more about it. And uh, yeah, it is in the book. In fact, I, I was going to say it sounds familiar because I know you, yeah, you devoted a yeah, lot of time so to the implant. The, so anyway, uh, they explained to me and the young man who was doing the talking, ref said it had been designed by someone called Constantine Rodive. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar and, with Rodive. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I didn't recognize the name at first because he pronounced it incorrectly. 
And uh, I thought, well, right, I've right, I've. And I put that word in the in Google, and I thought, oh my God, he meant Constantine Rodave, of course. Oh, is that how you pronounce and it? I had been saying Rodave. It's Rodave. Yeah, he's, he's uh, Romanian. Right, Constantine uh, and, with a and, K. Constantine with yeah, a K. Yeah, yeah, Constantine Rodave, and he was the one who in, he was a pioneer in electronic voice communication That's with correct. the dead, mm-hmm. and he apparently designed this after he died, and. You know, I thought, am I the only one with this thing? Because this is really a useful thing. He should be. He should. He should build a factory in the other le- level of reality, and be every all kinds of people should get these things. <laughs> and I mentioned it to a man. I, I mentioned it basically to all of my friends. Is anyone getting this? Look in. Look in your bathroom and see if you have this slit. One guy did. He does. And it's there, and he's been aware of it for years, but hasn't ever made anything of it. Incredibly enough, he's an expert on Constantine Rodave. He's an expert on EVP. He's d- done a documentary about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I thought to myself, well, that is remarkable. What we are dealing with is a communication device that communicates between us and the dead. Yes, yeah. It's not an alien thing. That's why it was put in by human beings. Because it's a human thing and, 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 and something from a, a higher level of human reality. And I thought I was so delighted by that. It was such fun. I can remember just laughing with delight because the thing is so cool. And now I know it's not there to oppress me in any way. And the, the, the reason the words go past fast was explained to me. They are drawn, not, it's not mind control. They are drawn from deeper in my mind that I can directly access mm-hmm. and brought forward into an area where I can access these, th- this material subliminally. And what it is like, it, it is, is like a super thesaurus that, that is re- super relational in all kinds of unexpected ways. And I just all I can say is I hope more people get this because it is such a valuable tool. I think a lot of people. Well, I, I think more people than we know than themselves know may have such a device. I I certainly hope so because uh-huh. people always the, say to me, "How about me?" Right. And I, well, you know, I consider every person equally valuable. Yeah. So anytime anybody asks me that. I I feel it to the depths of my heart. Mm. Would you come back and do a show just on the implant talk? Because sure. I think there's something more there. Cliffhanger, everyone. <laughs> We're out of time, Whitley. Oh, my gosh, you just went there today, and I'm so appreciative for it. Now, listen, you and I are going to go off air and have another little chat that relates to uh, – it'll relate to what we just talked about. Um, but I okay. also – go ahead. No, I said okay. Oh, okay. I thought you, <laughs> okay. By the way, folks, I don't know if I sound any different here today, but I've got a whole new rig I'm working with, so I'm getting a little acclimated listening to through a different set of headphones, different different rigs. So if if, if there's anything, if I'm talking over Whitley, please forgive me. I'm trying to get used to this. Anyway, we're about to go off air. I'm going to say goodbye to the journeyers for now, but we're going to have a juicy chat. It's going to be raw. It's going to be real, and it's going to be important. 
uh, and I'm so delighted that you agreed to uh, continue on with me for a little bit, Whitley. Now, I want to say to our audience, to our journeyers, this is a private segment that will eventually be made available to you, and we'll have the details for you shortly. We're still ironing out the specifics, but please stay tuned. We're going to have an announcement as soon as we are ready to welcome you in so you can listen in to what I know is going to be a very important and no holds barred discussion, so you don't want to miss that. Now, in the meantime, we didn't have a chance to go into this, but I want to give you a couple of plugs. I'm going to save you the breath. I'm going to do it for you because you know I love you, Whitley. People, go over to itsunknowncountry.com, yes, where people yes. can subscribe to uh, the, the, you've got the free Dreamlanders. This is your show. You need to subscribe so you can get the full Monty on Whitley's amazing show. Please do that because he's got some, as you can see, you just got a good sampling of uh, of his wisdom and what he has to offer. Uh, please go over to unknowncountry.com, will you? And uh, and get, uh, get signed up for him. And then I also want to plug the show that you just did on your uh, Dreamland with Alana Freeland. Guys, this is, you want to talk about something that was powerful. Maybe we can have a link so you can go listen to this I believe close to two hour discussion with Alana. So do that. Would you in the meantime? Thank you, Whitley. I think your video froze. You. Are, are you moving? No, you're moving. Move for me. <laughs> just want to make I'm sure. here. There you are. I was looking at you. Look like you were, maybe you were just stunned. I don't know, but I want to thank you again. No, no, I'm just, I, 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 stillness is part of my life practice. <laughs> uh, I, 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 uh, it's very, I'm all, my attention is always trying to be split between my physical sensation in my mind there you and go. so i get that you okay. know the stillness helps there okay i just wanted to make sure you're still with us and that wasn't a, a skype oh, yeah, freeze. okay you. great so there's all the details again thank you whitley we're gonna take a pause and then you and i are gonna go into the room the cl- close the door and have a chat and journey or stay tuned so you can find out what we talked about i can't wait to find out what we talk about so thanks everyone for joining us for higher journeys with alexis brooks we'll talk to you real soon take care